الحمد لله وكفى والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم فلا يعلم إذا بعثر ما في القبور سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون والسلام على المرسلين الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد على آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم Most people as they go through their life will take many tests and exams Most people through the course of their life will take many tests and exams and they'll be in various forms. Sometimes a person will have to take a multiple choice test where the question is given and then there's a series of choices that a person can choose from. Sometimes it'll be a short answer test where the expectation is that a person give just a few words in response to some question. Sometimes a person will be faced with an essay test, in which case a person will have to answer a lengthier response to a question. Sometimes it will be matching. It's various forms of tests and exams, but inevitably a person over the course of their life will take many of these sorts of tests and exams to the point where they become quite familiar with test taking. And how we answer these questions will often determine some aspect of our future. So, for instance, a person might take a test that's administered at the end of a course or an exam that's administered at the end of a course. And depending on how they do and how they respond to the questions on that exam, it'll determine what their grade point average will be. And depending on if their grade point average is high or low, often because of those tests and exams that they had taken, it'll determine what sort of graduate school they might apply to. Sometimes that test and the way a person answers questions on a test will determine if a person's able to take a career, to choose a particular career path or not. So per, for instance, a person is studying for uh, the MCAT. If they do well on the questions that are administered on that MCAT, that'll determine if they're able to apply for medical school and eventually become a physician. A person might take a test for driving, a written test for driving. And if they do poorly on that test, then they'll never be able to drive, or they won't be able to drive until they pass that test. And if they do well on that test, then of course, they'll be given their driver's license and they'll be able to drive. So there's often implications for answers that we provide on the test. Depending on how well we answer questions, we make a determination on how well we will fare with some aspect of our future. Now, there will come a day when 
we will have to take a short test. <clears throat> It'll be a short test. It'll be unlike any other test we've ever taken before. That test will be administered six feet in the ground. The proctors for this exam will be two angels by the names of Munkar and Nakir. There will be no assistance for that test, meaning there will be no one that can help us. This isn't a group test. It will be us by ourselves. <clears throat> There's no opportunity to take a break during this test. You can't take a lunch break. You can't take uh, a bathroom break during this test. You won't have any lifelines. You won't be able to ask anyone when you're stuck on a particular question. There's no one that you can get help from. There's no one that you'll be able to get assistance from. And you most certainly can't cheat on this test. In this world, you may have the opportunity to cheat on a test. You may be able to take some notes with you, slip them under a desk somewhere. You might be able to look over the shoulder of the person sitting in front of you in order to answer questions the way you think would be most correct. But for that test, there will be no option as such. The question or that, that test will have tremendous weight. If we thought that a test of this world was important for us such that it determined three or four years of our life, or let's say someone had a very important exam that prevented them from ever becoming a lawyer, for instance, and they do poorly on it, then perhaps it will determine 20 or 30 or 40 years of their life. It's a weighty exam. But that test will determine hundreds if not thousands of years for us. All of eternity will be determined, will be determined by how we do on that test. The test will consist of three questions. Three questions. And academically, these questions are very easy. The first question that will be administered by those proctors when they ask us is, Marrabbuk. Who is your Lord? Who is your Lord? The first question they will ask us is, Who is our Lord? The second question is, Ma dinuk. What is your way of life? What is your way of life? Simple question. And the third question will be, And who is that man that brought this message or brought the message to you? So what will happen is, when a person passes away, and last night we spoke about the journey of death. After a person passes away, their soul is removed from their body. The body is left behind. The body is washed. The family mourns when they interact with the body. A group of community members will gather in order to pray for the body in the janazah. And then uh, eventually that body is then moved from the place of the janazah toward a graveyard. And eventually the body is lowered down into the grave. And this will happen to every single one of us. The body will be lowered down into the grave. And once our body is lowered down into our grave, our place of rest, then our soul returns back to our body. 
And after the people who have gathered there spend a few minutes there perhaps making dua, reciting Qur'an, whatever it may be, after they walk away, then two angels come to administer this test. This will happen to every single person. Now people might stay for a longer period of time. Some people might stand by the grave for five or ten minutes. Some close family members might have a particular sense of attachment to that person and they might stay for an hour or maybe two hours after that person has been laid down into the ground. But no one stays beyond this. No one stays for a day at the side of the grave. No one stays for you know, a year at the side of the grave. No one stays you know, for several years waiting there and then walks away so that the angels can come. Meaning that people will walk away. And when people walk away from our grave, the angels will come. And they will administer this test. And this will be the most difficult test that you and I will ever take. Or have ever taken. If you thought studying for the LSAT was difficult, or if you thought taking the LSAT was difficult, imagine this. If you thought taking the USMLE was challenging, then imagine this test. It's three simple questions. It's three simple questions, and academically, if I was to answer anyone today, I could ask a four-year-old child these questions, and a four-year-old child would be able to answer these questions properly. But look at the circumstances in which they are being asked. Look at the circumstances in which they're being asked. Number one, we'll be completely by ourselves, six feet in the ground, in the dark, and there'll be no one around. Number two, look at the weight of the exam. Look at the weight of the exam. Often, the most anxiety that's created before an exam is it's proportionate to the degree or the weight of that exam. So for instance, if a person has a, a short quiz that is maybe worth just 10 points, for instance, and it maybe is worth one one-hundredth of the score or a person's overall grade for that class, then the anxiety that's created right before, immediately before and during that, ex during that quiz, it's, it's very little. This isn't substantial at all. But the greater the weight of the exam, if somebody has, uh, for instance, an exam that's going to determine their final grade for a course, the final exam, and the professor says it's worth 50% of your grade or 75% of the grade, and the anxiety that a person experiences during that exam is far greater than the anxiety that a person experiences for a short little quiz. If a person has an exam that's going to determine their future, that's going to determine 20 or 30 years, that's going to determine their career, and the anxiety that's produced for that test is unlike the anxiety a person experiences on any other test. Why? Because of the weight of that test. It creates that much more anxiety. The weight of this test that we'll have to take, that we'll, that we'll have to take after we, pa after we pass away, there's no, there's no greater weight. I mean, nothing matters more. So what if for 20 or 30 years of, this, of our lives, we have to live in a little bit of difficulty? So what if we never become you know, the physician that our parents dreamed, of, dreamed that we would become? I mean, so what if we never are able to drive a car because we never pass our driving test? So what? It's just a matter of 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years. Not a big deal. But this is a test that's going to determine how we will spend eternity 
the rest of time will be determined by how we will do on this test. Imagine the degree of anxiety that we will experience when we are asked those questions. Imagine the degree of anxiety we will experience when we are asked those questions. Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu, one of the close companions of the Prophet very special individual. He was so close to the Prophet that the Prophet said once in a hadith that Uthman anhu and one other companion will be on the sides of the Prophet on the Day of Judgment. Like they will be together just next to the Prophet on the Day of Judgment and that's how they will be resurrected. That's how special of a companion he was. And he, as reported in the book of Imam Tirmidhi, when he would be near graves, he would weep. So much so that his beard would become wet. Now Uthman he had a big beard. You can imagine how much a person must be weeping in order for their beard to be drenched with their tears. It was a habit of Uthman that whenever he would be by graves or in a graveyard, he would weep. Profusely he would weep. So once it was asked of Uthman that why do you weep so much when you are near graves? But when you remember heaven, when you remember paradise and you remember the fire of hell, you don't weep as much. Why is it that you weep so much when you are in a graveyard, when you are around graves, but when you are near, when you are thinking about, or when you are remembering or recollecting the fire of hell, or, uh, or recollecting the hereafter in general, anything beyond the grave, why is it that you don't weep as much? So the Prophet Uthman uh, said that he had heard from the Prophet say, that the grave is the first stage amongst the stages in the hereafter. Thus, if that stage is sound, meaning if a person passes the stage of the grave, if a person is saved from the difficulties of the grave, then the rest of their stages will become easy. And if a person fails the encounters of the grave, then the rest of their experiences will be very difficult. And then he said that he heard the Messenger وسلم, say that there is no sight, this is the Prophet وسلم, saying, there is no sight which I have seen that is more dreadful than the sight of the grave. The Prophet said, Uthman al saying, and after saying all of this, explaining why he weeps so profusely when he's around graves, and after explaining that the grave is the first step, and if a person does well in that grave and is saved from the difficulties of that grave, then they're saved from the difficulties of, of, that would come afterward. After explaining all of this to the companions, he says that I heard the Messenger of Allah say that there is no sight which I have seen that is more dreadful than the sight of the grave. In another hadith, narrated by Zayd bin Thabit radiallahu anhu, the Prophet وسلم, was once walking by with a group of his companions and they had come across a collection of graves, people that had passed away and that were buried in the ground. 
And the Prophet ﷺ asked the Sahaba, the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ asked them, does anyone know whose graves these are? So the Prophet ﷺ asked them, does anyone know whose graves these are? The companion, one companion responded that, yes, I do. So the Prophet ﷺ said, whose graves are these? And that individual said that these, are, these, these people, they're from the a time of jahiliyyah, from the time of ignorance. Meaning that they lived treacherous lives, they didn't believe in Allah, they didn't believe in the messages that were coming from the prophets of Allah. And so, the Prophet wasallam, upon hearing this, said that were I not afraid that you would no longer bury your dead, I would have prayed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you be given the ability to hear the chastisement that is undergoing at this time. The Prophet ﷺ said, after hearing that these were people from the days of Jahiliyyah, said that if I was not concerned that you would stop burying your dead, meaning you would stop burying one another into the ground, although that's a requirement of our deen. Had I not feared that you would stop burying your uh, your, your, your fellow loved ones, etc., into the ground. Had I not feared this, then I would have prayed that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala open up your eyes and your ears to the punishment that these people are experiencing at this time. The grave is real. And every single one of us will end up in our grave. And while it may seem like this is our final abode, meaning this, this world, because of the time that we put in into building our homes of this world, the reality is that we will spend far more time in our grave than we will in just a few years of this world. It seems as if, because we spend millions and millions of dollars building our homes, trying to become comfortable, trying to, you know, fulfill our desires, trying to, or imagining that we are going to be here for an extended period of time. Although it may seem like that's the case, it couldn't be further from the truth. We will spend more time in our grave, far more time in our grave than we'll spend in our homes in this world. And we have the option. The grave for us can either be, as the Prophet ﷺ said, jannah." It can either be a garden from the gardens of paradise, or a pit from the pits of the fire of hell. We have that option. If we rectify our lives, prepare ourselves for that challenging test, live lives of at least seeking piety and righteousness, turning back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala regularly and constantly. And in our minds, on a daily basis, running through those questions, and answering those questions from our hearts and begging that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all the tawfiq to answer the, those questions correctly when we are in our grave, then inshallah we'll pass. The Prophet said in another hadith, it's narrated in both Bukhari and Muslim that the, when a person is laid down into their grave, the place of their final abode is brought to them every morning and every evening as a vision. Meaning when a person lies to rest in their grave, 
then if their final destination is going to be paradise, then a window to Jannah is open and they're able to look at what, where they're going to end up and they're comfortable. That happens every morning and that happens every evening. And if a person's final destination is going to be the fire of hell, then that window to Jahannam is open to them and every morning and every evening, they get a glimpse of where they're going to be. So as if it wasn't torture enough that we'd have to undergo the difficulties uh, of that test with the angels. In addition to that, the wretched soul has to then every night, every morning while they're in their grave for tens or thousands or perhaps millions of years have to see a vision of where are the difficulties that they'll endure in the fire of hell. Now, there's many ways to look at the life in the grave. One way that oftentimes many people focus on is the difficulties and the punishment that a person can encounter in the grave. And that has its place. That has its place. A person can... The the, the, the early punishments that a person can experience after they pass away most certainly can be in the grave. But what's even... what's, What's concerning for me is the solitude that we will experience while we're in our grave. You know, in today's day and age, if and we've not many of us, alhamdulillah, we've been sitting in the masjid for now 24 hours or so. And part of the schedule that we've created is that we each spend 15 or 20 minutes or 30 minutes or 40 minutes just sitting down and reflecting upon our state in isolation, solitude, removed from everyone else, just sitting down and focusing for that period of time. And all of us know how difficult it is. After the first five minutes, we begin, we, you know, we open our eyes, we look around, we wonder, is anyone else still in the masjid? And we check our phone to see if anyone messaged us. We aren't even able to sit in peace for just 15 or 20 minutes. I wonder how is it going to be when we are in our graves? How is it going to be that we are going to be lying by ourselves? No loved ones, no family members, no friends, no television, no internet, no cell phone. Nothing for thousands upon thousands of years. How is that even possible? What will we do? What will we do? We can't sit for an hour in solitude today. We most certainly can't sit for a month in solitude today. If I was to say that we should isolate ourselves for just a month, remove ourselves from society, just reflect upon our own state, etc., none of us would be able to do it. And yet we're going to be completely all by ourselves, all alone for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years. And not only that, it isn't even that we are in our graves and people in this world are remembering us and they're praising us and they're thinking about us. No. The praise, the remembrance, that just lasts for just a few days. When a person is buried into their grave, the, the community remembers that person for maybe a few weeks. The family of that person who remembers that individual for maybe a year or two. The spouse who's the closest to that person will, is perhaps the only one or maybe a parent will remember that person for their lifetime, which may be 20 or 30 years. But after those people pass away, then there's no one left to even think about us, no one left to even remember us. We'll just be in the depths of the ground for year after year after year after year and no one will remember us. Think about how many graveyards there are in the world today. How many thousands or millions of people are buried in graves? How many people do we remember on a regular basis? 
They were people just like you and I. They had aspirations and dreams just like us. They desired to live in a comfortable home. They desired to have comfortable modes of transport. They thought every morning about what they were going to have and what kind of you know, six or seven course meal they would have in the evening. Now they've all left this world and not a single one of us, not, none of them are even remembered anymore. People come in this world, they leave this world, they, they get buried into the ground and people don't even give a thought to them after time. So we'll be in our graves and after a period of time, no one will even remember that we are there anymore. We'll just be there laid to rest for an extended period of time. And this is assuming that we aren't even enduring any punishment. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from that. But even just the sheer experience of being by ourselves, it's very unique. Our hope is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hasten this time for us in our grave and make it a window to our Jannah. And that can occur if we readjust our lives such that it's in accordance with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would want us to live. Such that it resembles at least in some way, shape or form the life that the Prophet lived. Such that it resembles in some way, shape or form the lives of the companions of the Prophet Think about it. If Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the third, you know, uh, uh, Khalifa of the Prophet, uh, of, of this deen, the one of the ten ashara uh, mubashara, one of the ten companions who by the Prophet ﷺ is guaranteed Jannah. The individual who we resurrected with the Prophet ﷺ on the Day of Judgment. If that special of an individual is weeping every time he thinks of the graves, weeping so profusely that his beard becomes wet, then what about you and I? If he's that concerned about what his life will be like in the grave, then how much concern should you and I have? At least on a daily basis we should be thinking about it. At least on a daily basis it should cross our mind. That this home that I'm living in today, this, these buildings, these structures that we've established and that we you know, reside in, we come to, we work in, we pray in, we live in, you know, we drive in, these are just temporary. These are just here for just a few years. They're all going to disintegrate. And even if these don't disintegrate, I most certainly won't be around to experience the, uh, the duration of these buildings. But I most certainly will have this space in the ground just six feet under where I will have to lay to rest. That'll be my home. That'll be my uh, place of residence for who knows how many years. So this is the reality of life. Number one, as we explained yesterday, and we went over in detail, all of us will experience death. death. Not a single person will be excused from this experience. And not only that, not a single person will be able to choose when and where that will be. It can happen at any time. It'll happen at any place. And when the angel of death comes to meet us, the angel of death will not fail in performing his duty of taking our soul away. We don't have the option of rescheduling that meeting. And after we pass away, we will be prayed upon and we will be placed in our graves. And this is when the real journey of life actually begins. Everything else is just a deception. This whole world is just a deception. Our life here is just a deception. 
This is dunya. We're just here. We're tested. We're here for a period of time. It's so short in the grand scheme of things. Even if you were just to logically think about it, the amount of effort I put in into investing into the comforts of this world, which are only 60 years, versus the comforts versus the eternity of the hereafter, it just logically makes sense that we spend far more time and effort into investing in the hereafter than we do in this world. Just logically, it makes sense. You don't even have to think about it in any other way, just purely from an academic standpoint, from a logical standpoint, it makes sense. So, for those of us that are striving in deen, those of us that are aiming to become close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that are desiring a very deep and meaningful relationship with our Creator, then we should reflect upon the grave. And there are a few things that we can do practically to bring the reality of the grave into our life. The first thing is that every single day a person should spend some period of time imagining, visualizing that they are in their graves. This is the first thing. It was a habit of, the pious of our pious predecessors of the past that they would actually dig out a section, a portion of their property, and they would go and lie down in their grave and just imagine that they were dead. And imagine that the rest of the world was continuing on without them, but they themselves were now, this was, this was where they were going to be. Now, I'm not saying that we need to do that necessarily, but at least a portion of the day we should set aside in solitude where we picture ourselves in our grave. And we should do, you know, we should reflect upon this as well. We should imagine that the angels are coming and they're asking us questions. We're, we should imagine that we are trying to answer those questions, etc. But for some portion of the day, every day, we should, we should think that we are in our graves. If the Sahaba could do it, and they had a fear for it, then there's no excuse for the rest of us. The second thing that we should do is every opportunity we get in participating in a janazah, and in a funeral, we should take that opportunity. So if there's an announcement in a masjid that so-and-so had passed away and that that person will be preyed upon and eventually buried, we should seek every opportunity to participate in that burial. The more we participate in burials, the more, the more, the more likely it is that the reality of, uh, of the life in the grave will come into our life. You know, the more bodies you lower down into the ground, the more likely it is that you will bring into your own mind the concept that you yourself will be lowered down one day. It's just, that's just the way the world works. So anytime, any opportunity we get, we should be involved in the process of burials. We ourselves should be involved and in, 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 in directly involved in, in this process. And I'll tell you that the, uh, the, the experience is, uh, that experience you can't replace any other way. If, in particular, if you have the opportunity to bury someone, you know, without a casket, sometimes in certain certain communities, certain cities, I know further up north in Michigan, sometimes they'll bury a body uh, directly with a coffin directly into the ground, then you should definitely participate in that. The most unusual experience that I've had was, and maybe some people can relate, but uh, where if anyone has the opportunity to participate in one of the burials in the Haramain, either Mecca or Medina Al-Munawwara, take advantage. You know, every time, after every salah, if anyone ever goes to Masjid Nabawi, after every salah, they'll, 
uh, have a janazah, usually after every salah. And after that salah is performed, then immediately that janazah, that group, that, that body is rushed toward Jannatul Baqi, right? It's rushed toward them. And you have the opportunity after the salah of catching that group and, and, and following them toward uh, Jannatul Baqir. And you have to do it very quickly because then they'll, they'll close the gate afterward. So once, you know, Alhamdulillah, had the experience of, of following this procession in, and you get to witness what it's like to bury a body the way they were buried at the time of the Prophet Straight, no coffin, meaning no, no casket, just the, 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 the coffin, the shroud that the body is wrapped in, that's it. And I have the most distinct memory, I mean the most vivid uh, you know, memory of, of what that was like. You know, it was like a dark night and it was very quiet. And there was a group of people, and it was a body that was just covered in coffin, and that body was lowered into the ground. And when that body was lowered into the ground, then what they do is they, uh, it's not that you just put the body into the ground and you throw dirt on top of it. There's another area underneath. Once you lower it, there's another area that the body is pushed under and turned on its side. And then there's a layer of bricks. So you can imagine that this is, you know, let's say this is the, the hole in the ground. And in this part, there's another part of the ground that's dug out from underneath. And the body's lowered and you put the body into that part of the ground. And then you line it up with bricks. And I remember so distinctly that as they were putting the bricks away, I couldn't but imagine that this is going to be me one day. And this person was a normal person. You know, it was like a, I, I don't remember who it was, but it was like a... a, a uh, sort of a smaller body. This is just a normal person, and now they're laying there completely lifeless. And not only are they lifeless, not only are they put into the ground, but then they're lying with bricks into the space in the ground, and there's no one else around. No one ever is going to enter into that space and ask them, how are you doing? What's, how are things going? Are you comfortable there? Do you need anything? Nothing. Those bricks are going to be laid, and then dirt is going to be poured over, and that's it. They're never going to be attended to ever again. I have such a distinct memory of this and I would urge and recommend everyone, you know, at some point in their life, you know, experience this before, before this happens to us. And this was Jannatul Baqiyah. This is, I mean, this is a dream if any of us could ever pass away and be buried in the, uh, in the graveyard where the rest of the Sahaba are buried and just steps away from the Prophet ﷺ. This would be a dream. But it was such a frightening experience despite this thought of having to be placed in the ground just alone. So in any case, everyone should participate in, in, in burials if possible. The third thing is every single day a person should spend a little bit of time in solitude, disconnected from the world. So every day for 15 or 20 minutes a person should find time just for themselves. Put the cell phone away, put it in a different room altogether. You know, disconnect yourself completely any sort of connection to the world just remove yourself for 15 or 20 minutes and just reflect upon your state every day a person should do this look we either do it now or we regret it later we either do it now or we regret it later so the grave is real the hereafter is real the journey can be difficult it can be easy it'll be whatever we make out of it May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant you and I the tawfiq to prepare for our life in the grave. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from any difficulties and any challenges from that time that we'll spend in our grave. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it a window to our jannah. Make it a garden, from, make, a garden for, make it a garden for us from amongst the gardens of paradise. Wa akhiru da'wana. And alhamdulillah.